the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast. As always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook, and I'm delighted to be here and even more delighted that you have chosen to listen. This is a show where I speak to leaders, experts, innovators, and game changers to look at ways that we can improve your driving school and potentially make you an even more awesome driving instructor. And today is no different. In fact, it's a very special episode because we have got two shows for you. On part one, we are looking at the driving test and we're looking at how we can better prepare your students for the driving test. And on part two, we are looking at mindfulness and why it's not just meditation. But why are you doing two shows, Terry? Excellent question, and I'll be happy to answer it, because you may or may not be aware that I run a premium membership alongside this podcast with a load of additional content, and back in season three, I made the decision that once every season, I would put an episode out into the regular feed. And this time, I was asked by Bob Morn and Sam Harper if their shows go out, so I decided to bump them both together and put them out. So if you would like access to a lot more premium content, I think there's currently over 90 shows over there, then head over to www.theinstructorpodcast.com. But I'm also going to take a moment to suggest you check out both of these guys as well, Bob Morton and Sam Harper, clientsetlearning.co.uk and the Guild of Mindful Drivers. Two excellent resources and two wonderful people that are massive assets to the industry. And I will just say, make the most of them while you can, because it's not going to be doing this stuff forever. So make the most of them while they're in the industry. But for now, let's dive into the show. My lords, ladies, and whatever, <laughs> welcome to Being Better with Bob. Uh, as ever, your splendid horse, Terry Cook, is, is sat alongside. Well, he's not alongside me, but he's on the screen next to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the way you started that then, I felt like I was uh, back at school and I had to go, good afternoon, Mr. Morton. Good Very afternoon, careful. I've got everybody. a blackboard rubber in my hand, ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you can't throw it at me. Um, all right. So, yeah, uh, it's good to have you back on being better. Number five, Bob. There you go, number five. And we had a oh. couple of months off because of... Yeah. Um, who My knew? Collapsing around Who us. Knew? So, there yes. you go. As it does sometimes. But uh, we're now in the privileged position where I can sit down and I can now pick your brains around the, some some wonderful topics. And I I threw this one at you because I thought it would be fun to talk about driving tests because it is one of uh, instructors' favorite topics for obvious reasons. And I yes. think a, a really good starting point. I know there's some stuff you want to cover, but I think a really good starting point is is the question of how do you know when a pupil is ready for a driving test, Bob. Well, you don't need to worry about that because they'll tell you, won't they? Yes, Bob, but what happens if they tell <laughs> that, you and they're not dad. actually ready? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things that comes up on Facebook all the time, and it's why are we not having these conversations with them as we're going towards test? What does test ready look like? So, you know, we were always told in the past, if a pupil says to you, oh, will I fail me test for that? You should be saying, no, no, no. It's not about the test. It's about safe driving for life. Well, what a lot of rubbish. You know, somebody's asked you a question. Answer the bloody question. Will I fail my test for that? Yes, you bloody will. Do you know why? <laughs> or you said, no. Why do you think that is? Oh, well, you know, it's, as an industry, we, well, I'm trying to rein myself in here. As an, <laughs> we, <laughs> don't, don't do it. 
we focus on the wrong things. We we obsess with mistakes. You made a mistake there, so you'd fail your test for that. No, you don't fail your test for making a mistake. You fail your test if you've adversely affected another road user or if something is habitual. For example, you know, I watch people doing mock tests. I've, I've, I've dealt with a lot of new instructors, a lot of experienced instructors in my time as director of training at LDC. And it's always the thing, you know, how do I know when the test's ready? Well, why don't you get an experienced instructor to do a mock test for you? So why don't you and your pupil turn up at the test center and get another instructor and their pupil to turn up at the test center and the instructor swap cars? Now, this is a real test because a stranger with a clipboard's just got in and gives the route directions like a bingo caller. So we've got to get them ready for test scenarios. It's no good just thinking they'll, do, they'll be all right on the day when they've been sat next to you and you've been chatting all the time and then they sit next to an, an examiner and they chat the examiner and the examiner just gives them a cold icy stare. Then the backside falls out. That's our fault because we've not prepared them for test scenarios. And we also prompt and help, you know, now don't forget, test center waiting rooms are full of people saying, now you must remember, and don't forget, don't forget about your mirrors now. Oh, okay, guess what happens? They forget. So we're training the wrong way. We're having the wrong conversations. It's back to this thing again. We're trying to fill them with our righteous wisdom and knowledge, which is good and right. You know, it's brilliant. But you pour that knowledge into them, and some of it sticks. And the stuff that does stick, a percentage of that sticks while they're on test and under pressure. We've got to get them to come up with means of behavior that will fit the modern driving world. And that's, you know, test is the same. Are they safe? That's all that matters. If they're getting round and they're not adversely affecting another road user, they will pass the test. Classic one that I see, you know, instructors marking on mock tests. They go, ooh, loads of mirror faults. You failed there. You failed. And they get on test and they won't fail for that. The DVSA are nowhere near as obsessed about mirrors as we are. <laughs> and we also misunderstand what the test is about. We don't know how examiners mark, most, most of us don't know how examiners mark tests. So we need to know how to conduct a mock test properly. But to do a mock test properly, you have to do it the way the examiner would do it. Otherwise it's not a mock test, is it? It's a different kind of test. <laughs> it's a test, but it's the one that you've made up in your head. You've missed three mirror checks, so you've failed. No. <laughs> what the DVSA do is they have a set of expected outcomes for everything that they're marking. When we enter this situation, this is what I would normally expect. Their attention is grabbed when there's a deviation from that expected norm or that expected level of competency. You go, hey, up. There's a deviation here. They ask themselves the question, how much of a deviation? Is it a teeny bit or is it a lot? Hmm, is it enough to pique my attention? Let's assume, yes, it is. First question they ask themselves is, is there a legal requirement here? You know, have we not stopped at a stoplight? Have we gone over a solid white where we shouldn't? Have we exceeded the speed limit? The answer then will be yes. That's an automatic serious and to fail. If there's no legal requirement breached, then it's like, okay, so it's a deviation. There's no legal requirement, so we've not automatically failed. How much of a deviation is it? Ooh. So it's, is it a little bit, a medium amount, or a lot? So that then weights the fault as to whether it's a 
not worthy and nothing marked, whether it's a, a, a driver fault, whether it's a serious fault, or whether it's a dangerous. So it's there's there's a waiting there. Um, now, really, unbelievably helpfully, the DVSA have published what those criteria are, <laughs> and it's free as a download. I have it as part of my my ebook uh, at the back. Here's what you should be looking for, and this is what they regard as a driver fault, a serious fault, and a dangerous fault. So they've given examples. So if you want to conduct a mock test, the first thing you need to do, if you want to do a good job of it, is to read that and, and, and make sure that you're, you're, you're conducting the test in the same way that the DBSA would. I've just sent you the, the link for that. I meant to send you it before. Yep. Um, so you can you can publish that. But if you want to buy my ebook, 20 quid, grab value, <laughs> or take my ebook course. Um, and where can people be... find that, Bob? <laughs> Clientcenteredlearning.co.uk. Um, those of you who are obviously, you know, the, the Terry's Premium members, you get a you get a discount on all that. So if you if you buy the um, the membership, which you'll get at nineteen ninety nine, um, you get that as part of it. So you'll have that documentation. So we have to understand how that works. Now, how do we go about preparing them differently? Well, that's 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 a fairly complicated thing, but it's. When they ask the question, when I fill my test for that, so what do you think? I'm not sure. Show them what the examiner's guidance is. Well, this is what they're looking for. Is that what you did? Did you do something different? So and, uh, there's a fantastic example of this. I was sat in the back of a test. I think I might have even still been on a training license, so it's quite some time ago. And the kid, long straight road, um, out in the countryside, there's a path at one side of the road, the side that we were on, and no path on the other. Um, so... The kid hit the curb. We're doing 40. I mean, he, he glanced at it and I was like, oh, you chuffing hell. I thought, well, that's the end of that. And as I was thinking that, he did it again. It's like, oh, Christ almighty. <laughs> Just what's he done that for? He's never done that before. Where's that come from? We've all been there, haven't we? Think, oh, where'd you learn to do that? They come back with this pools coupon after test and you think where have all these crosses come from i don't know what made you do that i don't know well i thought it was my test so i better get on with it you know but the examiner said you pulled out in front of somebody who gordon bennett so more of that in a minute so at the end i'm so i'm convinced we failed because it was you know outside of that it was a pretty good drive to be fair um and i was surprised how he managed to pull himself around and get it all back together uh, they clearly knew we'd you know, cocked up. And the, the examiner said, I think I'm pleased to tell you you've passed. And I'm thinking, has he forgotten? <laughs> we clattered in the curb. So I thought, I need to know. I mean, you know, you know, Victoria, I always need to know. <laughs> I've always got questions. So the examiner claims out, and I claimed out with him. said, excuse me, excuse me. He went, yeah, yeah, can I? I said, can I ask a question? He went, of course you can. I said, He's passed, yeah. So he hit the curb twice. Went, yeah, I know. So how's that a pass? He said, well, nobody was adversely affected. And that's the first time I've heard that phrase. So what do you mean? He said, well, he hadn't affected anybody, so I've not marked anything. It's not worthy. Not, what do you mean, not worthy? <laughs> but what, what about my bloody near side front wheel? What do you mean it's not worthy? He said, well, he hasn't affected anybody. I said, well, all right, what would it take for him to affect somebody? Yeah, well, that's easy, is it? He said, if he'd hit the curb, 
and he'd made a pedestrian on the curb go and jump out the way, that's driver fault. Oh. So, of course, I follow up. What would be a serious fault then? If he hit the curb and he swerved away from the curb and he made a car come in the other direction, swerve out of his way. That's serious. It's all right. What about a dangerous? You see, if he made that car swerve far enough so that he hit the curb. I said, there wasn't a curb at you. They're saying, he said, don't get smart. <laughs> I said, well, oh, he said, I could have also abandoned the test. I said, well, what would, what would that be? He said, well, if it had escalated into something properly dangerous, then that's the end. Of it. I said, so all of them from the same fault. And he said to me at the time, got to stop being so fault-focused, you lot, you know. <laughs> what? So this, this is 30 year, 33 years ago. So they've always thought the same way. It's us that doesn't, hasn't got it. We've got a hold of the wrong end of the stick. Not the DVSA. What do we do? We sit in the back of tests and we see the same fault get marked a different way. So we point the finger at the DVSA and say it's their fault, that they're inconsistent. But they're not. They're not at all. They're about as consistent as it's possible to get. But we don't like, like that because that then means that we've got to point the finger at ourselves and go, we're a bit shit, aren't we? It's, it's situational, is, isn't it? I mean, driving is situational. So anything that occurs, forget test, anything. You could drive down the same street 10 times with nothing occurring and drive down number 11 and something random's happening. So it'd be unfair to mark someone down for something that might happen in other times. But, I mean, we were telling that story, then it reminded me of a very similar one in before lockdown. I'd not sat in the back, but the the, the this lad's come back and she's passed him and she's giving him his feedback and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end, she just turns to me and goes, you might want to check your front tyre, though. Is it curb three times? And I just thought, it was back in my head, I'm thinking, would I rather he'd passed or would I rather he'd grabbed that wheel to protect my tyre? But just on... Uh, sorry, go on. I mean, on, on that same thing, sorry, but, you know, how many times you see that on Facebook? Oh, this happened. The examiner should have been in there and stopped that. No, they shouldn't. That's not their job. They're assessors, not trainers. Yeah. Good examiners. You know, some of them do. But... That's not part of their job. Only if they feel that their life is, or, you know, their, their safety is compromised, will they intervene. Otherwise, they'll just let them at the curb. It's not their job to stop them. It's not their yeah. job to stop them reversing into a car during a parallel part or whatever. So we, we misunderstand what it's about. But see, I think that, I mean, we've probably brought about from instructors, but I think that students think that as well. You know, one of the things I stress to the, to the learners is the examiner's job isn't to keep you safe. Your job is to keep the examiner safe. Absolutely. All they're doing is, like you said, is assessing them. But just a, a couple of points on the, I think, the things you've said yeah. there. So the, the the one, again, the example I use in my students for the for the fault and how it can be a fail or not is stalling. Because I had two tests in the same week. I think it was 2019. One passed with five driver faults, and all five driver faults were for stalling. And one failed with no driver faults, but failed for stalling. Because she did it in the middle of a junction and struggled to restart. And I'm yeah. like... So one person's got five faults for stalling and not failed, and one person's got one fault for stalling and failed. And when you put that to students, I think it sinks in a bit. Yeah. And then just a, a, the other thing I'll say is when they're asking about would I fail on my test for that, I, I always say that your driving tests are a reflection of real-life driving. That's it. So what happened in real life? 
and then you make them assess what happened then and go, okay, so was it dangerous? Did you like, yeah, okay, then yes, you'd fail because you you would have hit the lamppost if I'd not pressed the brake or whatever. Right. So the you know the, the the simple thing is the driving examiner is asking himself the question. The simplest question is asking him or him or herself is, do I fancy sharing the road with these people on their yeah. own? <laughs> Just. So we have to prepare them to be able to drive on their own in all sorts of given circumstances, and that includes being sat next to by an examiner. So we've got to look at their decision-making process because the way we prepare them at the minute is not right. We, 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 we're not getting them to make decisions. We're, we're, we're trying to get them to replicate behaviours we think is appropriate. But if they don't think it's appropriate, then it's got, I mean, a classic thing, roundabouts. You know, we search for this Goldilocks moment all the time. To begin with, you know, they're going when they shouldn't. And then you go the other way, and then they're not going when they should. And we, we search, or it starts the other way. They're not going when they should, and then they start going when they shouldn't. And we wheel, whittle it down from either end until we find that Goldilocks moment where they get it just right. There you go, that's grand. Well, that's great when there's no pressure. What if the pressure comes? So we need to start training them a different way. Rather than teaching them stuff, we've got to engage in conversations. How are you deciding whether they go or not at this roundabout? Huh? How are you deciding? I don't know, they'll say. Well, if you did know, what would you say? And if that's okay, what circumstances would you not go? What circumstances would you go? What do you need to be able to go? Well, I need space. How much space? I need time. How much time? How long will it take you to get clear of any traffic coming from the right? I don't know. Tell you what, then, at the next roundabout, we'll stop. If, if there's nobody about, we'll stop and then we'll start again and I'll time it how long it takes you to get clear. So we try that. Okay, so that's how much time you need. All right, okay. So you're helping them to see that you're, you're, you're hardwiring stuff into their map of the world rather than giving them a shit ton of stuff to remember. Because guess what? When you're under pressure, you don't remember stuff that somebody else has told you. But you never forget things that you've worked out for yourself. You never forget your political views, your religious views, because you came to those on your own through a thought process, through a decision-making process. So you don't forget. And it's the same while learning to drive. You know, we've really got to get away from this idea that, you know, they can only learn to drive when we tell them what to do. They're sentient beings and they're bloody smart. <laughs> Have a look well, at those of you who, anybody who, who doesn't believe that, go on to ldclearnerdriving.com. Go on to their YouTube channel. I think it's LDC Driving Schools. I'll just type in Bob Morton in the YouTube. I'll come up and look for the lessons with Danielle. I don't think I ever gave her any instruction at all. And there you go. And 20, 20, 24 lessons later, she's through her test. Because I never have to do any lesson twice. We're not wasting time. She never wants to work on manoeuvres. And when I, no, that was clear, wasn't it? I said, you don't want to work on manoeuvres? No. Are you sure? Yeah. She said, do you think I need to work on manoeuvres? No. She said, why do you keep going on about it for them? Because <laughs> up to that point, every learner I'd ever come across wanted to work on manoeuvres on the road of the test because they were terrified by them. Why are they terrified by them? Because there's a lot to remember. <laughs> Where if they're working out for themselves, there's nothing to remember. It's hardwired as part of who you are. So we need another look at how we do these things. And so we need to make the, the learner aware, this is how you're going to be assessed. You know, it's, when you're at school, you're preparing for exams, you have mock tests that are previous tests. They're not something that somebody's made up in their head. They're actual tests. And you, you do them in actual test settings. 
So we've got to prepare for these things. Um, and we've got to get them used to driving in silence, you know, making decisions and then pulling over and have a little chat about it, you know, reflect, review, new plan. I think so when we're, we're sitting at a standards check, just a link to that, they're thinking to themselves, well, that's something that needs sorting. And if you don't sort it, you will fail. It's that simple. Yeah. <laughs> I... Just briefly, I want to touch back on one thing you said there, because it's a little bit off topic, and I think maybe we could do a deeper dive on this on another episode, but <laughs> let me try and phrase this right. So you mentioned about how would you, how did you come, how did you decide to go then? You know, that question you're asking that. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of said that the student says, oh, I don't know. And then you said again, take a guess sort of thing. And If you didn't know, what would you say? Or yeah, that was guess. And, and the reason I'm touching back on that is I jump. <laughs> Try to phrase this right. I generally don't have a lot of problem with that. I think that if you ask that second question, because you quite often get, I don't know, and you say, take a guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, but something I hear a lot, either from instructors talking to me or that I see online, is them saying, well, my students don't know. They say they don't know. Now, I think part of that is because they've asked once and the student said, I don't know. So then they they drop it. But you do occasionally get the odd student that, that does say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. So, yeah. so those sort of questions. So my, once I've asked two or three times there, my response will generally go to, can I take a guess? And I'll make a suggestion and then they'll either agree or disagree. Yeah. Is that something you would do or would you have a different approach? Oh, yeah, that? I'll do. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't believe in giving information when it's not necessary. But by the same token, I wouldn't withhold information. You yeah. know, if they were really stuck, I'd just say, well, look, when I'm driving, what I tend to do is, do you want to get out of go? Yeah, all right. Then we'll pull over and say, okay, how was it? What worked for you? Anything that didn't work for you? Does that make sense to you now? So in light of what we've just learned there, now what do you think? So I'll come back to it. Yeah. But most instructors, just because we're not trained to do it, you know, in the old PST world, we weren't trained to do this. We were trained to give an eight-minute lecture to then re-deliver that lecture during their first attempt, then to prompt, then to let them have a go on their own. And that way, learning takes place. Well, it does. Quite right. Learning does take place, but it's clumsy. And it's not. It doesn't fit the human model. That's not how humans are hardwired to learn. Yet instructors who don't believe this will point to the people who don't say, I don't know. And I hear this all the time. I'm, I'm delivering a workshop on Sunday up in Scotland. I'll bet you that somebody there will go, I've got students you can't do that with. And my response is always the same. No, you've got students. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it takes very, very little time to break down those barriers. Now, some people do have learning disabilities. That's fine. That's, uh, that, you know, or, or spe- I hate the term special needs. Who have needs that are unique to them. Um, and that, that's another, off of the tangent here, a question, one of the biggest questions, not the biggest, the most often asked questions from new instructors when we got them, you know, I'd done the, the business training and got them launched. And the first thing that would come back to me nearly always would be either to do with mock tests or more, more likely I've come across this student that has an insert whatever and I'm struggling. Right, okay. So what should I do? So you're going to need specialized help with somebody who's got those issues. All right, where will I find that? Sat next to you, mate. <laughs> Sat next to you. They've dealt with it for 17 years. They've 
They've learned everything else they've needed to learn in life up to that point, and it's a lot of stuff. So ask them how they learn best. What do they need from you? Because we turn up thinking all they need from us is our righteous wisdom and knowledge, which is, you know, all right, it works, but it's, it's flawed. It's massively flawed. And I never used to believe any of this. When I first looked at coaching, I thought, well, that's a pile of shite. How is that supposed to work? How are they supposed to know what to do before I've taught them, before I sit next to them with my magical powers? And it was a horrible realisation eventually to realise that for most of the time, I was actually getting in the way of them progressing. I was holding them back because I thought they needed this and that and the other. And for a lot of them, they don't. Uh, so it's, how do you think you'll do this? I don't know. If I get I don't know, I'll say, what's your best guess? Or I'll say, if you did know, what would you say? Do you watch other people drive? Yeah. What do they do? Oh, I don't know. And the homework might be, what's your dad when he's driving? What does he do? You know, have a, have a think about, does he always pull away at the same speed? No. no. What determines that, do you think? And they'll work it out. Well, it's when somebody's coming, he goes quicker. Would that work for you? Probably, yeah. Okay. Do you want to practice pulling away quicker when there's traffic coming, or should we just pull up at the same road and practice pulling away quick a few times? What do you reckon? Oh, yeah, we'll try that. Yeah. Do you feel confident with that now? Yeah. Do you know do you want to try it in traffic? Yeah. And they're keen then because they've got the skills. Yeah. It's not rocket science. It's uh, We're dealing with people who are really clever. Clever. Even the ones who appear stupid are really clever. <laughs> And can work shit out because they taught themselves to walk and talk, and that's much more complicated than driving a car. Um, and that's a whole other subject, like you say. I've gone yeah. on a sort of tangent there, haven't I? No, no, but it's useful. I, I do find it's... it interesting because I, I do think there's there is a mental block, and I used to have it. You know, you're scared to ask questions, or you get that I don't know, then you're scared to push it because you don't want to be that instructor. But yeah, I think we can maybe come back to another time and we'll bring it back. Well, to yeah, the test. It's a... It's Sorry. a whole thing about the, the, the asking the question thing because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and we like it when it becomes a, ah, my students just want me to tell them what to do. And we like that idea because we know how to do that. What we don't know how to do is to ask probing questions that really delve into their experience and their knowledge that they've gained through life. We're not good at that, so we don't like doing it. So we'd much rather that we'd right, just tell them what to do. Yeah. So I think... You know, I made the comment on the the episode with the, the, the ladies from the Coach and Crow podcast who came on and we were talking about getting them involved in setting their own goals. And sometimes you'll get a student that don't want to and they're a bit reluctant. So maybe mm-hmm. start a lesson, you'll help with that. But then you'll get a few weeks in and they'll be texting you between lessons saying what they want to do on that lesson. And, yeah. and sometimes just building up that rapport. But but, but back to driving tests, because uh, yes. something that I know that you are a, a massive fan of is offering advice just before the test. So when you're outside the test center and you're just about to go in and you remember this, remember this, remember this. So what advice would we be offering in those situations, Bob? Well, if you're somebody who gives advice in those situations, and I used to, I think it's a waste of time now, but it's too late for that. You're in the test center waiting room, too late for that. The backside's already falling out, just overloading them with other stuff. It's a waste of time. It's too late. Too late. And it's like, you know, I have this conversation. And I used to buy into all this, you know, don't forget this and remember this. And occasionally they would remember or they, they wouldn't forget. But it wasn't consistent. Now, if it was the right thing to do, it would be consistent, wouldn't it? Yeah. And it's not. It's too random. But I'll tell you what is consistent. 
helping people decide what to do in given situations for themselves and hardwiring that into who they are. If they're on test or not, they don't forget. And I, I stopped getting as many ridiculous fails for people doing stuff that they've never done before, which is also linked into the trigger thing, isn't it? We get triggers because they do things we weren't expecting. Somebody had put money on passing, comes back with a pool scoop on. Hey, what the hell's happened here? And the other way around, you have somebody who maybe doesn't perform well normally, performs well. It's too random. A whole lot of stuff to remember and stuff not to forget. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's flawed. And testing the waiting rooms, that's all you ever hear. Now, don't forget, see, it's too bloody late, mate. It's too late. The driving behaviours are already formed. If you haven't to do stuff now, you're shafted. <laughs> I, uh... Which leads me to something else that ties in with it. Once you start preparing people this way, I started saying to them, what do you want to do before test? I don't know. I said, well, here's some options. I could pick you up and drive you there. I could pick you up. You could drive us there. We could go through one of everything. All right. Most of them just say, well, you drive me there. <laughs> now, it means, that, you know, there's not as much time spent. Now, this is another contentious issue. So if it only takes me 20 minutes to get the test center, they've got me car for an hour, 20 minutes to get it back, that's, that's, that's an hour and 40 I'm charging them, rather than the two hours I might have done before. And something else to have a think about. If you run through one of everything before a test, which is what a lot of instructors do, what are you going to do if they get it wrong? You haven't got any time to put it right, have you? So it's like, oh, you just introduced another layer of nervousness, something else to bloody worry about. The, so uh, we need to have a rethink about the way we prepare them. It's too late the one I then. I keep interrupting you. Sorry, Bobby. It's I don't know right, no, there might be a delay on the feed because I keep jumping in because I think you've stopped it and there's like this little delay, so apologies. I'll just come up for breath for a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the um, the one that I used to make a mistake of, and, and I still do, I fall into this trap sometimes, still a little bit, is, you know, we'll be sat in car just before test and I'll start offering them advice around nerves. And, and this is something that I used to do all the time. And then it just clicked on me one day that, why don't I offer them this on lessons so that then when they get to the test, they've got experience, you know, because I used to go, remember, when you pull up outside at the road, take a few breaths before you set off again. They're not going to remember it, as you said. But if they do it every time they pull up outside at road, then it becomes a habit or it becomes something they think about. Absolutely. Often, they make mistakes as they're going through. You know, we all do. We all do. You know, I like to think I'm relatively good at the job, but I still cock up occasionally. So when, when something's gone wrong or they're feeling pressure over something, just say, what are you noticing? Where do you feel it? So well, it's generally tightness along their jawline and maybe feel that pulse in their ear lobes, whatever it happens to be. Maybe the mouth goes dry, maybe they feel their tongue swelling. Okay, let's have a look at some strategies to get, get through that. So that's how you recognize that it's happening to you. Let's try some breathing exercises. And I generally walk them through, and I'll get, I get them to breathe in through their nose while I count seven. I get them to hold it for a count of seven and then form a little hen's bum and blow out slowly for a count of 10. I say, how does it feel now? And it's nearly always, well, that's better. Okay, so now you've got a strategy. If you're starting to feel a bit stressed, there's something you can use. That's just, just for driving. That's for life. Or that might not work. Let's try something else. So... And you're coming up to test, you say, so if you're starting to feel a bit anxious, what's the, what's the plan? What are you going to do? 
So you're, you're teaching them to, to gain mastery, not only of some skills, but of their own body. So how to control things for themselves. But, you know, we think that they can't do it. Well, they can. They're smart. So we've yeah. got to stop treating them like numpties and, you know, I it's dead simple. <laughs> the the only advice I offer now, and I, I only do it if they ask, is they'll pull up and they'll say, have you got any tips for me? And I'll say, yeah, if you see me walking about, don't fucking wave at me. Because <laughs> I had a student do that once, yeah. twice, apparently. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, just just drive, just drive. That's all you're doing, just drive. Um, so the, the only advice I give them is just do what you normally do. If you yeah. hit, hit something unusual, just apply your normal decision-making process. What's the safest thing to do here? I think, actually, I think there is one other piece of advice I do offer, but even this, I've started saying it before now as well, so it's not just on test day. And that's because something I see, I mean, I've not signed back of a test for a while because I'm a back, but something that I used to see a lot was they would make a little mistake, like we talk, you know, spoke before about what's not bad, but then they make another mistake because they're thinking about that first mistake. And I think they do that more on test than yeah. normal because they and I'm like, just keep your attention where it is, but... That obviously we're speaking about tests and the results of tests. So, what as instructors can we take away from the results of tests? Now, I realize that's quite a big question because it would depend on the outcome. You know, there's loads of different outcomes, not just pass or fail. But as instructors, how can we analyze that and actually go away and, and learn from that? Well, I think the things you see, I think that the driving test is probably more fit for purpose now than it's ever been. I don't think it's the finished article yet, but it's it's more fit for purpose than it's ever been. It's about real-world situations and are they safe. So I would keep a record of every this works for standards check preparation as well and for your triggers. Keep a record, and there's a form in in my in my ebook, and I'll push it again. Um, but it's just have the form so that it's I'll, I'll I'll send you a copy, Terry, and you can you can let your premium members have it. Um it's which test center, which examiner. Because if you've got an issue with an examiner, if you can turn up with some written evidence, they'll take you seriously. And then each column represents one of the marking boxes on the DL25. And then it's pass or fail. At the end, examiner took action verbally, physically. So you can track where you're getting your driver faults, where you're getting your serious faults, where you're getting your dangerous faults, where the examiner's taken action, and actually see for yourself if there are patterns in the way you're preparing people that end up with patterns in the results that you're getting that will stop you being called for standards check through triggering stuff you need to know where you're at but we we have this sort of abstract idea about who we are and where we are but we're not applying the same measure that the dbsa are so they don't want you to have clusters of serious and dangerous dangerous faults um because if you have a think about it they'll pull you in if you trigger three out of the four so it's a pass rate lower than 55 percent half of your tests ending up with a serious fault, half your tests, uh, or getting more than five driver faults as an average over a period of a year. Um, the other thing is if more than the examiner has to take physical action, more than 10% of your tests. If you're triggering three out of those four, you're not doing a very good job. You're settling for the average, you know, which, and, and, and I'm afraid the average driver instructor isn't as good as they should be. They're not, <laughs> just not. Um, but it's it's not maybe getting the attention it should because everybody's busier than they want to be. So this is a time of great danger for us as an industry because we become complacent because it's a time of plenty. 
Um, it becomes a whole different world when the recession comes, and it will. That's the kind of economy we have. There will be a recession, and then only the strong will survive. So you um, need to take care of your technique and all of that sort of stuff and take care of your marketing when you haven't got time to do it. It's an amusing one for you. My driver faults were at 5.1, uh, and I had a test Yeah, <laughs> a test a couple of weeks ago, and I think I worked out that if he got four driver faults or below, it will drop down below five. And he got two. So, and I've gone home, because I, I use the GoRody app and it updates it automatically on there. So I've gone home and, and I've checked. I'm like, 5.3. How How's it gone up when he's got less? And, and then I checked. Somebody's dropped off at the other end. Someone's yeah. dropped off that had got like a one fault or something. <laughs> it had gone off, but it was like. It'd be an interesting survey to do among your listeners. How many ADIs are aware of how many driver faults are averages? I bet it's not many. Yeah. Yeah. But then it becomes a shock when we get called for standard check. Oh, why has this happened? But if you already knew, just knowing that your, your number of driver faults is creeping up will make you focus on it. And if they're clusters in certain areas on the form that get marked, you'll, you'll focus on that. Yeah. Because you can get slack on things without realizing. Nobody, nobody develops bad habits intentionally. So we've got to monitor our own performance. I think the other thing we can do there, and this is just me, you know, I don't know, but uh, I always asked the student, pass or fail on the way back, was there anything on that test that you felt unprepared for? And every now and again, I will get someone that says, actually, yeah, this I didn't feel, maybe not prepared, but I didn't feel comfortable doing this. And it might be because that specific situation hasn't occurred. There's maybe not a lot I can do about that, but it may be go, and there's been a couple of times I've gone, actually, maybe I didn't go over, maybe we didn't do that enough. And it just happened that every time we came to that situation, it was easy or whatever. So I think asking your students in that, that works as well, not just relying on the data. But Well, I, you know, and again, it links back to setting up scenarios. So maybe that situation had never occurred, but you could be saying, you know, in your meet situations, well, we didn't meet anybody that time. What would you do if there was somebody there? How do you decide who goes? Yeah. What if you decide you've got priority and the other fellow doesn't give you it? Then what would you do? What would you do if, you know, you're driving and you, you, know, you pass your test, you've got to run your mates in the car, one of them refuses to wear a seatbelt? What would you do there? So I'm in, and this, this, this takes us beyond just the technical aspects of driving and more into driver attitude and driver behavior because our behavior is formed by what we think and what we feel, which forms our emotions, which form the way we behave to things. So it's, it's important to tackle this in the way that we, that we train and the questions that we ask. So there's always a, a way of painting scenarios. Well, how would that be in the dark then? Now, there's a classic one. I was sat in the back of some, the, the lady I was helping prepare for a standards check, and there was a particularly dodgy junction. She was dealing with it really well. Um, and then at the end, she said, is there, is there anything else I could have done? She asked me the question while the learner was still there. I said, well, I don't know. What do you think? She said, no, I think we covered that. It's okay. Said the learner, is there anything else you could have done? She went, oh, I don't know. To help you, where you, your, your view was really limited. I said, what else takes, you know, has a, has a bearing on that? She wanted to rain in the day. Sorry, what are you doing today? I said, what are you here? She said, hear the cars going by. You hear the cars going by. Do they make the same noise when it's dry? No, it's much more noisy when it's wet. And she straight away went, I can open the window. 
Now, she's decided that, not me. So she'll remember that because she came up with that idea. So the next time she comes to any situation where I say that and it's raining, she'll just think it'll be automatic for it. She'll drop a window a little bit so she can hear, because you can hear cars in the wet a lot further away than you can in the dry. So that becomes part of who she is. So that's the essence of what it's all about. Having them self-sufficient and self-reliant. That I'm not going to say they're not going to fail the test because you know, stuff happens, but they're less likely. Yeah. Less likely to make that catastrophic error. Um, you know, and it's if they understand what the market system is too, they'll understand that well, that's probably not worthy. Because they sometimes see the examiner mark something down. It's not the end yeah. of the world. <laughs> you know, so if they understand how examiners view things, then it's got to help, I think. I mean, is a slightly amusing for you, just a quick story. Um, when I first started, I, I mean, I love working Sundays, just to clarify. It's my favourite day of week to work. I don't work as early, but when I first started, I used to do it 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning, two-hour lesson, and I had this uh, last lovely girl called Charlotte. Every Sunday, 8 a.m., we booked a test for 9 a.m. on a Monday morning, and she'd only ever driven Sunday mornings. Oh, and that even occurred to me. And so we started driving and she's like, there's a lot more cars than usual. I'm like, yeah, I haven't thought this through. And she failed miserably. And that's on me. I've not, yeah. well, not completely, you know, she has to take some responsibility, but that's, I've yeah. not prepared her, which yeah. ties me into my last question, almost like I've done an intentional segue. Hey. <laughs> How much responsibility should instructors be taking for a failed or a passed test? 100%. That's it. Why, Bob? Why? Because that's what they've paid you for. That's because that's your job to prepare that person for the real world. And part of that real world is the test that they have to sit. So if, if you do a mock test, it's it's not a test. That the mate Terry sat next to them. And yeah, all right, you were a bit quieter than normal and oh, they're under a teeny bit of pressure, but get somebody else to sit there to, to, to conduct that mock. That's a real test. So they might pass the test on the third or fourth go, but it's their first go with the DBS here. <laughs> so I'm not a I'm personally I'm not a fan of the mock test. I'm a fan of preparing people to deal with whatever's in front of them. And some of that might be the test. So I think it can be quite a negative experience for learners, the mock test. So it would depend on the learner. I would offer it as an option. And we would look at the benefits and the disadvantages, and then they'll make the decision. And that's another way of working. You know, what were the benefits of what you've done? What were the disadvantages? Um, you know, it's it's like when we we talk about this is something that yeah, drives me nuts as well. We're constantly having to remind them about stuff. Why is that? Because they don't think it's important. Because if they thought it was important, they wouldn't need bloody reminder. Blind spots are critical one. And if you get your blind spot. Oh. So he said, well, what is it we're looking for? You know, and I'll ask the question. So when we pulled away there, in terms of percentages, where zero was you weren't aware at all, and 100% was you were totally aware, and you were 100% sure it was sensible. Where was that? Oh, about 90. All right, then. How sure do we need to be before we pull away? Well, it wasn't even there. Well, not, but look over your right shoulder. You see the gateway there? Could somebody come from that gateway? Oh, yeah. So if a kid ran out there and clattered in the side of your car and got injured, whose fault would that be? Some of them were a kid, they shouldn't be running. You're right. You're right. 
Any idea what that would do to your no claims bonus? So it's, I, I would say, 100%, because that's our job. We have helped, we have prepared them for tests as best we can. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you're held responsible for the odd things that happen on tests, but they should be ready to handle just about anything that comes their way. Because you're saying by putting them in for tests that they're safe to share the road with. And if they're not, and they're somehow fluke a pass, then bloody shame on you. Uh, cool. Anything else you want to touch on around uh, driving tests and, and instructors, Bob? No, I think it's, it's it, you know, there's a whole world of fun out there just by changing the way we do things. And it's difficult. It is difficult to, to, to take yourself away from the instructor being the centre of everything and being the font of all knowledge to then realising that the knowledge is already inside the learner and your job's to get it out. It's, it's a hard road, but it's a road worth travelling. I'd, I'd agree. All right, do you want to uh, remind people again where they can find you if they want more Bob goodness? <laughs> more Bob goodness? What, you mean give them the address? <laughs> oh, why not? If, if that's where no, the goodness comes no, from. No, no, no. Check I'm the show notes, you'll find it in there. <laughs> so a link to Google Maps, so you just tap it in and go. <laughs> well, you can, can't you? You've got to Google Maps and look up Client Centre Learning. You can see where I live. There you go. They said that. The <laughs> clientcenterlearning.co.uk. Um, you can, you'll find everything you need on there. Um, there's a link on the main page to the subs, the, the membership. But you can also buy each of the individual courses, um, or drop me a message on on Facebook Messenger. Um, <laughs> if you manage to find me phone number, it wouldn't do any good because I've got no phone signal where I live. None, absolutely zero. I have to be about a quarter of a mile away from my house before any signal starts. <laughs> Uh, well, we do appreciate you joining us, as always, on this episode of Being Better, number five with Bob Morton. Uh, this is going out on Thursday the 12th. So anyone listening, it's free to join me on Friday the 13th at Bob's house for a pie. <laughs> I'll pop up the off-license and get some beer. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Bob. And we're just taking a slight pause in the show to give a big shout out to the latest sign-ups to the Instructor Podcast Premium. And they are Abdul Hosseini, Jana Campbell, Sam Hutchins, Nikki Butler, Kevin Wise, Vicky Fish, Kim Gage, Rob Jacks, Janaba Charm and Harry Debling. Big thank you to you guys for signing up. I really appreciate it. There was more than that. However, I'm going to leave some till next episode rather than try and cram 20 people all into one now, these guys that have signed up get immediate access to all the back catalogue of podcasts and audio shows and videos and, and written content that's currently in the Instructor Podcast Premium, including more like the ones you're listening to today, as well as others, including Kevin Tracy Field's new show, stuff around the standards check, and stuff that I do by myself as well. But... If you sign up to Interactive Tier, which is £22 a month, not only do you get all that content, you also get some additional stuff. So you would get access to watch some shows being recorded live and interact at the end of that. You'll also get some very special merchandise once you've been a member for three, six, nine, and 12 months. And you will get access to the brand new expert sessions that we are running. And these are basically masterclasses, presentations, whatever you want to call them. We're calling them expert sessions. And the first one is on April the 12th with Chris Benstead talking about how we can teach roundabouts. The one coming up in May is with Kevin Tracy Field looking at ways that we can reduce learners' nerves on test days. And 
Coming up in June, we have got Dave Shannon coming on to talk about tax, what we can and can't claim for, and some of the misgivings that driving instructors make. If you would like to sign up, then head over to www.theinstructorpodcast to find out more and sign up, or you can just contact me. I'll happily answer any questions you've got and point you in the right direction. But for now, let's get back into the show. Welcome to this second edition of the ADI Mindful Podcast with San Harper. And uh, I am not San Harper. You can probably tell by my uh, less dulcet tones. Uh, but I am joined by San Harper. How are we doing, Sam? Yeah, good, thanks. Good to be good to be back, Terry. Good to see you. Uh, really appreciated your first episode. We got some uh, some lovely feedback on that, but we had a bit of a chat afterwards and decided it might be better for some episodes if we have a conversation and maybe there'll be some episodes you decide to do by yourself or, or maybe you have a guest on that you interview or, or anything like that going forward. We've got some, uh, there's no fixed, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not schedule, script. Agenda, agenda yeah, yes. Script, yeah. There's no fixed agenda. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, my premium members have to put up with my voice for a little bit today. Um, but we have got yourself. Now, I will just mention, uh, you are going to be doing a uh, sort of a mindfulness meditation, short meditation for us, but we're going to not put that in this podcast because we don't want people, sorry, we want people to be able to listen to this whilst they're driving. And if we have that meditation on, that's not great for you driving. So once you've listened to this, there will be a second episode up where you can go and check out the actual um, the meditation side of it. But uh, yeah, so today, Sam, uh, we said that we're going to talk about mindfulness and how it isn't just meditation, because I think there is that misconception. Am I, am I right there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think people have got an idea as to what mindfulness is. Um, and I guess the, the sort of simplest way really to explain that is to do with practices being formal and informal. So a formal practice is meditation with mindfulness, but an informal practice could be pretty much anything you like, actually. But it's you're, you're kind of paying attention to not just the external landscape of wherever you are and whatever that may be, but you're also paying attention to the internal landscape. So you're just present and you're just paying close attention to your experience. So would you say that you could the word mindfulness could be interchangeable with the word self-care? I mean, there's definitely a, a big part of that, self-care. Yeah, because the self-care can only really come about once you're aware as to what your current state is. And, and the trouble is because we operate 47% of the time, I suppose it's not more than that actually, on autopilot, often we're very reactive um, to situations and we go we go through certain patterns of behaviour because we're on autopilot and we're not actually that aware of what's really going on. You know, it, it could just be something as simple as, you know, you could be feeling a bit narky, you know. You like sometimes I come in and my husband will say something, I'm a bit, I might just be a bit narky, you know. and and I'd be completely oblivious as to what's behind that. But it's only when you start paying close attention to that internal landscape, you can start to recognise certain things showing up. And it could be, it could just be something from a headache. It could be just be that you've got a headache and there's, there's tension in the body. Or there could be something on your mind. Um, and certainly when you become aware of how things are showing up for you, physically, you can then make a conscious choice to help to alleviate that 
suffering. It's all about alleviating suffering, isn't it? Being with suffering and finding ways to help to alleviate suffering. It's only through being aware that you can then choose to do something that's going to um, be more beneficial. And that, like you just said, that's an act of, of compassion, self-compassion and self-care. It's, um, you mentioned there about like potentially being narky, and I think that's a good example because I think that as people, we don't – I think I use myself as an example. I, if I know why, then I can handle it. It's when I don't know why that I struggle. So like, at the minute, I am a bit more uh, on edge. I'm a bit more likely to snap or be a little bit short with people. I've got a lot of stuff going on in the background, but because I'm aware of that and because I know why – I know that I need to keep an eye on it. And and if on this episode, Sam, I start shouting at you, then I need to know, right, okay, stop that, Terry. Don't get aggressive with Sam. Um, but no, I, that, that really kind of strikes a chord for me because I think the other thing you mentioned was about being present. And I think that if, if we are just kind of oblivious going about those day-to-day tasks, we're not noticing that stuff. We're not... We're not noticing, like you said, when when something's affecting us, are we? No, that's right. And the trouble is as well, the way we live in our society, it's all about the way we deal with things is to numb and avoid. So even if it's a subconscious thing, we feel a bit narky. Uh, we might not even realise we, we feel anything or we feel a certain way. It's just an accumulation of things and it might play out with us exploding at somebody or getting cross about something. Um, but it's yeah, it, it just comes down to us just I've just lost my thread there. <laughs> I just lost my thread there. Um you can edit you're gonna edit this, aren't you? No, that's staying in. <laughs> oh no, I just lost my thread. So you were just saying oh just remind me what you just said. I can't remember. Um I'll tell you what, let's go with this. Um because like we said at the beginning, that mindfulness isn't specifically uh, meditation. It's about being present, as you just were, clearly. Um, it's about being present in the moment. So when you – what would constitute that? So does it need to be sort of specifically sitting down being silent, or could it be wrapped up in something that you love doing and enjoy, you know, where you just something where you don't see that time just flying by? Yeah, it, that's it. it can, it's, it's conscious choice, isn't it? It's just choosing something because we get caught caught up in certain patterns of behaviour and that kind of escalates, you know, into a situation that might not be beneficial or helpful. But it's choosing something that, that is going to feel better to be with. So that could be, for example, I might notice I'm massively ruminating about something or feeling replaying the conversation that might have upset me. And I can either on a subconscious level get caught up in that or I can notice oh that that rumination is making me feel worse it's making me feel bad what's my choice here and that might just be as simple as just sitting and looking out the window and noticing the sunshine and the blue sky and just taking a breath notice my feet on the floor you know noticing the, the breeze against my skin just coming into the into my physical, what what is really happening right here, right now? How, you know, in this present moment, how am I in this present moment? Well, right here in this present moment, I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm warm. Nothing bad is happening right now in this present moment. And it's the ability to bring ourselves back, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's something that you speak about a lot on, on your uh, mindfulness course that I've been on. 
And it was that that brief thing that was a uh, almost an eye opener for me because I'm the sort of person that will just get wrapped up in ten thousand thoughts, and then you start stressing and panicking, and the whole world's against you. And I think you know, just have to remind yourself sometimes: just stop, take a couple of breaths, go get a drink. You're all right. Like you said, right now yeah, you're okay. Right. I think the other one I'd throw in there, uh, when when stuff's going a bit mental in your brain, there's a, a chap called Richard Nichols, a psychotherapist. And um, he's actually been on the podcast once, but I listened to one of his podcasts once, and he was talking about when your brain's going hell for leather, think of a stop sign. And you don't have to actually shout it, but mentally shout the word stop. And what it does, it cuts off all those thoughts. And then go into what what you've just been talking about and, and breathe. Do you remember there was an acronym acronym that we shared on the course, and it's the stop acronym. Remember, and I actually posted a little postcard, and it, the acronym is stop. And stop stands for stop, take a breath, observe, and that observation is exactly what is here right now. You know what's the what's the what's that internal barometer saying? What's the weather like right now? Observe and then proceed mindfully. So then I I can. It's almost like breaking that electrical circuit, you know, because I know exactly what you mean with rumination. I used to do it all the time, uh, really badly. Um, and it's like a, it's like an electric circuit. But when you learn to break that circuit, you break. You're just putting a block. You're you're. It's a circuit breaker, and you're just able to stop. Take a moment, breathe. And by the time you've done that, you know, and done whatever you need to do, often something else will have happened and you, you'll be thinking about something else. Um, I'm, I'm slightly moved. Can anyone watching this video will have seen my expression when you say, do you remember the acronym? I'm like, no, I don't remember any acronyms. I'm falling <laughs> with acronyms. They, they don't stick. And there's too many. They don't work for me. Um, but, but, yeah, oh. so I, I think... Like you said then, it can be anything where you take a moment or where you get lost in, in that moment. The What are the bad habits, do you think, that prevent us doing that? Because not my big one is is my phone. And it's it's that habit of I'll pick the phone up and I'll start scrolling or I'll check. And not consciously, that's a subconscious habit picking in. So what are the, the negatives of, of, of doing that? What are the big, bad examples? Well, I, I think, and I hear what you're saying, I think it's recognising what patterns of behaviour don't serve us. And you've just identified that you feel that constant checking perhaps, you know, isn't to that to that level is going to be that useful to you. Um, and I suppose it's just developing strategies to help to manage it. One thing for me, I noticed how the news was starting to make me feel because it was, it was incessant. Like my husband would have it on in the morning, it'd be on at lunchtime, it'd be on in the evening, and it was incessant. And I really was aware of how it was making me feel, like I'm sure it has a lot of people. Um, and I went away on a retreat for a week, and it was no screen time, no phone, no TV, nothing. And it was heaven, absolute heaven. And it made me realise, well, actually, I've got control over this. So when I came home, I was much more discerning with that you know so when I so I, I've asked my husband he's been great we just have breakfast together now in the dining room we don't have the telly on I don't have it on at lunchtime it means I'm more productive because I, I do chores and the bits and pieces I'm I have the radio on now so I tend to do more you know it's it's more productive and the things I do sit down and watch I, I have the intention to do that so I suppose with the phone I exactly I know exactly what you mean 
Um, and I find for me, it can be useful to leave it downstairs. I've got a little alarm clock. I bought that because um, I was doing the same thing, Terry, just spending too much time looking at my phone. I've got a little alarm clock, leave the phone downstairs, and then I can't check it. But it is, it's recognising the things that we do that we think, oh, actually, that's not ideal. Maybe I need to change tack there. But it's the only way we can do it is to work out a strategy that is realistic and is going to work. Yeah, I think the, the the phone one for me, it's not just the phone. It's because obviously I do a lot of podcasting uh, and recording, so I spend a lot of time in front of the computer, and it's all about putting breaks in. So when we finish recording this, I will be outside for ten minutes, and it's just to—I'll leave my phone inside. It's just to get out, get some air, and and just clear my head a little bit. And it, I think you mentioned yeah. this. It's looking for those little signs. So. I noticed yesterday that I've got a really heavy head. Um, not a proper headache, but just, you know, where your head feels heavy. And then I noticed it this morning. And why? Well, I've spent so much time in front of a computer this week. I've spent so much time communicating with people and swapping messages and emails and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's why. So I've got another call today at 12, another, another Zoom call. Then it's all going off. You know, nothing's getting edited today. It's all going off. I don't know what I'm going to do this afternoon, but everything's getting, including the phone, getting switched off and put down. And I think... But like you just said... Sorry, sorry. Go on, go on. I was just going to... What I was forgetting about before, when I was mid-flow and I just lost my <laughs> lost my head, um, I think it was when you said about not understanding why, like it, it, you find it easier when you understand what's going on and why you're feeling that way. But I think sometimes we just need to cut ourselves a bit of slack and uh, sometimes accept that there isn't always a reason. It's just how we are. We're human beings. We're human beings, not human doings. And and it's allowing ourselves to just be. And as humans, it's part of this survival instinct, isn't it? We try to understand. We try to work it out because that protects, our, that protects us. That's what happens with, you know, that's how we've evolved. We, we naturally try to work out solutions and find answers. I think, and it's very hard actually just to stop and just accept. And this is with mindfulness, this is one of the key things. It's paying attention in a particular way on purpose and non-judgmentally. And it's that, that, that it's exchanging that, um, the judgments that we have about everything and, and instead bringing in a sense of curiosity as to, you know, well, okay, that, that that's how it is. Well, I can be curious about it. It could be because of this, it could be, but accepting that I might not always know the answers. Yeah. I think, I know we said we're going to talk about meditation specifically in our episode, but that's that's how I finally learned to meditate because I always had this idea that you have to not have any thoughts. It has to be a clear brain. And that's not the idea of it. The idea is that your thoughts come in, you realize you're thinking about them, and then you bring your brain back. And it's it's training you to come back, which is is, and when I when that clicked for me, it's like, oh yeah, so I can meditate, and then it's the same for everything else. Like you say, you you notice that you know I've noticed that I've been working too hard this week, especially around the, you know, this side of it. So therefore, I need to step back a little bit, and it's it's not judgment; it's acknowledgement. And I I don't know whether you find this as well, but I find it's been a game changer for me for physical pain. I used to suffer with chronic neck and shoulder pain in the car because it was an accumulation of tension that I was completely, you know, I, was a, I wasn't conscious of it. So it was building up on a subconscious level. 
But now I notice when I'm, I hold it in my jaw. I notice when that's happening now. When I'm present and I, when I breathe and I don't suffer. I don't suffer now. And that's, that's all it is. I'm not quite sure whether I can put that down to the sort of the meditation, mindfulness side, or whether I put that down to my yoga. Uh, probably a bit of both. Although when you're doing yoga, that's very mindful. You're in the moment, and, and I, I enjoy it. In fact, <laughs> so let me use you. Um, start a year when I when I was doing yoga, I could um, put my knuckles on the floor, you know, bend down and put like my fists on the floor. Uh, when my sciatica kicked in uh, a few months ago, I couldn't even reach my knees. I couldn't get to my knees, which was horrible. Like now I can almost get to the floor again. Um, so, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's that, I think, he, in, in yoga for me, and I, I'm not really connected the two before, but I, you, you'll put yourself in this pause. You might only be there 10 seconds, but you're in that pause. Your brain's not elsewhere. You're right there. And yeah. just being present in that moment. So It's the mind-body connection. It's all, it's all, it's all connected, isn't it? It's the, the yoga is the focus on the, the body and the breath and – in meditation, it, you're sitting with the breath, but it's all it's all connected. It's all you know part of the same sort of thing, I guess, in a lot of ways. So, what would you suggest to people? People are looking to be more mindful, without looking at the meditation side just yet. Like I say, come back to that on a, on a future episode. But what would you suggest? Where would people start? I would say one of the things that people I always hear this back on courses. People tend to say, oh, "I went for a walk the other day." And I noticed, and they'll go through a list of things, and it's almost like they've awoken because, you know, we, we walk the dog and we go, we stay, you know, in our local area, our neighbourhood, and it's all a bit same old, same old. But I just say to people, just go out, you know, like you just said, get 10 minutes, say, right, I'm just going to go for a walk, even between lessons, just get out of the car and walk up the road or something, stretch your legs, but just pay attention. Notice what the cloud formation pattern's like. Notice if you can see the colour of the sky through the clouds. Notice what the trees are around, What if you can hear the birds, if you feel the breeze on your skin, the colours that you can see, the textures that you can see. Notice your judgments about things, what things, if it's sparking memories or thoughts or preconceived ideas. And it, you're just bearing witness to that. So what you do is you become the, the, the observer. You almost as like you're walking alongside yourself and you're becoming the observer of you in that experience. And it can get really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I get bored very easy. Um, the meditation side doesn't bore me weirdly, but um, you said there about observing and being aware. I don't think there's anything that feels nicer in the world than being stood somewhere where you can close your eyes, feel the breeze on you, and then hear the birds, and that's all you can hear. I think that's amazing. Now, I can't do it for too long because I get bored, but I think that those short few minutes you can sit there, and it, and if you can do that between a driving lesson, I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that For me, honestly, because I used to scroll my phone between driving lessons, I'd sit in the car if I was a bit early or whatever, and I'd look through my phone. Not anymore. I, I sit and I have the window open a little bit, close my eyes, feel the breeze, listen to the birds. And it makes a massive difference to how I feel, the way that I, my nervous system has a chance to just reset and rebalance and just, yeah, just kind of get everything feeling a bit more, yeah, it's a really good way to decompress between lessons for sure. And I, I it's, it can be quite amusing, you know, I quite enjoy, if I'm in a waiting room somewhere, um, I quite enjoy just 
being nosy and listening to people's conversations, you know, and I noticed the wallpaper and the pattern of the carpet and how they, they have or haven't matched the decor or I find it, it's, and it, you kind of sit there and you start chuckling to yourself because you notice all kinds of things you've not noticed before. No, and, and you know, you compare the two, so you can scroll on your phone and look at two people having an argument or you can see what Sandra's having for a tea and see what this driving instructor's complaining about today while staring at this bright screen in your hand, or you can actually look around and see some pretty cool stuff that you wouldn't normally notice because your head's buried in your phone. I think the other thing I just want to touch on there, um, you mentioned about between lessons. Now, I I went through a little bit period of almost being a little bit judgmental around this because when I first became an ADI, I was very much, we need lessons as close as possible to squeeze as many in as the day. And then I step back, I'm like, yeah, that's not working for me anymore. I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Um, and now I put a big chunk of time between my lessons, and it, it varies between 45 minutes, an hour and a half. And I know some people yeah. turn their nose for that, but that's that's what works for me. But I think that even with that, I was a little judgmental and then thinking, well, everyone should do that. And I think, do you know what? If you do three lessons in a day, and the thing that works for you is to put them all close together, and then you have that time before and after. And if that works for you, then I think that's good. But if you're someone that would rather have a bit more time in between and less time before and after, then that that works as well. I think fundamentally it boils down to what we're bringing, what we're bringing in that lesson, what we're, what we're inviting in, into that lesson and what we're bringing in the car, that atmosphere and the energy in the car. And if we're feeling a bit frazzled, and we're unconscious of that, and we're going from lesson to lesson, and that's accumulating throughout the day, whether we realise it or not, we're actually bringing that with us into those lessons with those pupils. And on a subconscious level, we are expelling that. And it might just be by us being a bit narky, or maybe a little bit impatient, or a bit exasperated when they do something wrong. But that shows up. And by us managing our self-care, like you just said, we actually can be, I think, more compassionate, and more tolerant, and um, I think it makes us better instructors. Do you ever use it on the driving lessons? Like you said, you'll get a a student that's getting a bit flustered or a bit exasperated, and you'll get them to pull up, and rather than talking about what they've done, you ask them like a random question about, what are you doing tonight, or or something like that, and then they'll tell you, and by the time they've told you, they've calmed down. Do you ever find you use that, or do you go straight into the sort of the the more uh, meditation stuff? I suppose it just I sometimes will just say let's just take a moment and it can it could just evolve in any way I say let's just take a moment shall we and often I'll need it as much <laughs> as them <laughs> you know let's just take a moment shall we and we pull in and sometimes I might we just have a little conversation about what happened or you know and how we feel about it and yeah and just take a moment I've got one girl and she's got um she's on the on my autistic spectrum I think she's it's quite evident, actually, that there's, that there's autism there. Um, and she likes to shake. So that's what we do. And she and, we, and I'm, I felt so privileged that she was able to share with me what she needs. You know, because I talked about the bed. She's like, I just like to shake. I was like, let's shake them. We do it together. We're like, come on, then, let's have a shake. And we have a – that's what we do. Um, I guess it's finding out for them what it is they need at that in that moment. And sometimes it might just be to talk about what they're doing that night. It might be just be just to settle – focus on the breath it might just be to notice oh look at the look at that um funny looking bird up there or whatever you know i um 
we'll pull the butt side at Rodham's for a lad and we're talking about summer and a Robin came and landed on my wing mirror on my side at car and I'm just like look there's a Robin on my mirror and he went yeah whatever I'm like yeah I don't think I want to teach you anymore if you don't get a bit you know smiley because there's literally a Robin about a foot from me on my mirror then I don't want to work with you um all right cool is there anything else that you want to touch on around uh mindfulness away from meditation how it's not just meditation that's mindfulness away from you well like you just said about the Robin it's it's interesting isn't it uh and, and on that it one thing I found it can be hard when you discover mindfulness or even appreciation in the simple things in life that bring something to us and and enrich our lives. Um, and when other people don't see it, that that can be it can feel quite hard. But I think sometimes it can just be useful just to explore that a bit more deeply. Maybe, like you know, like you said about the robin. I don't know. Say well, when somebody says whatever, say yeah. But when you think about it, that's just. I don't know, just have like a story about something that maybe just sort of invite them into your world a little bit. I don't know however that might look, but um, I think it's just getting people just to um, just learn to be present, basically. And that that in itself can be quite hard. And I think this is one of the things I was going to say earlier on is that the society we live in, we're taught to numb and avoid anything that feels uncomfortable, anything that involves us being present. Sometimes when we are present, it's hard because our life situation is not how we want it to be always, you know, and being with that difficulty can be really, really challenging for some people. Um, and I think it's just, I guess it's just learning, you know, to, to to take steps towards just simply being with our environment sometimes and just starting with that, starting with the environment and the external landscape. Because some, for some people, that being present... Um, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. I think uh, the other thing I would suggest is is not being afraid to start small. Um, yeah. Something I'm guilty of is, uh, you know, if I can't do it all in, there's no point doing it. And I had to talk myself about that a long time. And it's I think, you know, if you set yourself the goal initially of in between lessons, getting out of your car for one minute. I don't mean to go to the toilet in Morrison's. I mean, when you come back, just stand outside your car for one minute, taking some yeah. deep breaths. For a minute, anyone can do that, literally. Yeah. Um, and I think if you start off with that, then it, that, that gets the ball rolling and you can always agree it's 90 seconds or two minutes or and go like that. But you set yourself a target that's so small that it's embarrassing if you don't achieve it, then it's yeah. easy to do. Yeah, absolutely. You could even set a timer, couldn't you? You could even set a little alarm to go off at certain periods of the day or set, set write something in your diary. Just to remember, or even write the little stop acronym, write little stop signs everywhere. You could even put some stickers around the house just to remind you just to stop and just just be present and notice. Um, maybe don't think about that while you're driving. Randomly shout stop while you're driving. <laughs> we know what happens when we do that. All right, so um, I... Uh, we're going to record the uh, meditation session in just a moment. As I said, guys, that'll be on a different uh, episode. Go back and check that out. Um, but do you want to tell people, uh, take a moment to tell people about your courses, son, and what you offer and the discount they get because they are Instructor Podcast Premium members? Absolutely, yeah. So um, the course, I'm, we've got one starting next week, actually. So there's still time if anybody wants to come on to that. It's Mindfulness and Compassion. For drive and rider trainers and it's the course is six weeks long it's nine hours um and i really just explain you know in great detail really about what mindfulness 
actually is. We explored the neuroscience, um, look at how it actually affects the brain, the way the way that our brain operates, the chemistry in the brain, um, and then we learn practices and techniques around that and and how that can be integrated into our work. And like you said, Terry, there is a discount. Um, there's a discount code which I'm sure you'll publish for people um, when they if they want to sign up for the course. Okay. Uh, you are ridiculously yeah. underselling that, Sam. Um, we are, I, we have to do some training with you to get you to actually tell people how good it is. Um, it's, it isn't just Sam explaining what meditation is. Uh, I'm not going to go for it all now, but I've been on the course. It's very, very beneficial. Uh, it's not just being explained to you. You're actually learning how to do it, learning about yourself. You're learning how to implement it for both you and to help your learners as well. And I will give you one other tip. If you're in two minds about it, go and check out some of the reviews that Sans had. Uh, I don't think there's anyone that's done that course that hasn't left a glowing review. And I want to say one other thing. If you go check out the, the Guild of Mindful Drivers website, I'll put the link in the show notes. And this is purely for my amusement. Uh, I think over there you've got like almost a hall of fame, aren't you, Sans, of people that have come on. Scroll through and look at all the professional pictures over there. Look at all the professional pictures of all the ADIs and, and all the, um, uh, the the really good kind of uh, descriptions of the ADIs. And then you get to me. <laughs> it's just a ridiculous, unprofessional picture. And I think the description is something like, decent bloke, <laughs> which is yeah. just like, uh, it's brilliant. Really love it. It really means to me. But yes, um, check out some of my reviews. And uh, yeah, you are getting it recommended by me. And, uh, and I don't think you can get... Uh, a better recommendation that that not only have I done it and I recommend some, but I've also got on here doing uh, a special podcast for you guys as well. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. And we have a WhatsApp group as well, and there's a Facebook page because I don't just do the course with people and then say thank you, goodbye, and never see you again. I do like to help people to maintain their practice because it is a practice, like you just said about yoga. It's something you either do and you practice. So I do help people. Yeah. Um, I uh, I will admit your WhatsApp group is quite active, um, and I think it's too active for me. Uh, I'm not good with active WhatsApp groups, so um, I think after every now and again you'll you'll message me about something in the group, and then I have to go and look. But yes, um, <laughs> you do you do uh, provide a lot of useful stuff in there actually, uh, and I think it's the sort of thing the group where you can go in and just scroll through and just pick out stuff. It's almost like a really good Facebook page is, is what that group's like. Yeah, well, we've got one now because, because that yeah, we've started up a Facebook page just to make that a bit more accessible. There you go. Yeah. But, yes, as I said, I'll put links in the show notes for that and, and um, make sure you go and check out the, the short meditation. It's going to be able on, on um, a different episode but available now as this one's released. Uh, cool. Anything else, Sam, before we disappear? Um, I don't think so. So thank you, no, thank you, Terry. That was uh, good. Good. Uh, how are you finding the uh, the episode so far? On episode two, how are you finding it? Yeah, good. I feel like I maybe should have prepared a little bit more about what I was going to say, so I didn't lose my train of thought. But uh, other than that, it's all good. Cool. Hopefully, hopefully, there's uh, listeners out there who found it. Um, yeah, interesting, and maybe ho- hopefully spark some curiosity to find out more about mindfulness. Cool. It's, it's changed. It's changed my life, and I just. I just want to help other people to discover it and find a way to to help them as well. Well, we're still settling to doing this show, and uh, my theory is that if I enjoy it, other people will as well, uh, and I am enjoying it. So, yeah, thank you for your time, Steve. It's very much appreciated. Thanks a lot, Terry. 
the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.